0: All right, so this is, we're starting here with a collect. Set my phone there. Uh, A collect uh, that was written from our assignment from last time. Blessed are you, Lord our God, who has redeemed us and called us by name. Grant us your peace that we may incarnate your resurrection life as we faithfully lament our present griefs. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. Lovely. Does anybody have any reflections on writing a collect? Like any anything that I don't know? Like how did you find it? If you're willing to share, anybody who did so. I formulated it on my walk, which is normally when I pray. Hmm. So yeah. It was kind of fun. I go up early in the morning, so I can talk out loud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one's so, around, me. yeah. yeah. <laughs> to think you're weird, yeah, <laughs> yeah, great, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's great. anybody else? It was easier than I thought it was gonna be. Interesting. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Yeah, that's great. And I didn't feel constrained by the form, mm-hmm. which also surprised me. Yeah. So you felt you felt like uh, constrained by the collect form. Address of God, and then you do this, and then you do this. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting, I, I too. Didn't feel like Oh, you didn't. Sorry, I thought you said you did. No, you did not feel constrained, where maybe you anticipated that you would. Yes. Yes, yes. thank you for clarifying. Thank you for clarifying. It uh, so was a surprise because I thought it would be constraining. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think forms that are. Uh, expansive enough, I think they really do help us to actually hone our creativity instead of, you know, having a wide open space. And prayer is not just about creativity, obviously, but it, I think that's part of part of it. You know, obviously, it's sort of like we're creating something. We are creating a word thing, you know, um, and so yeah. Wrong in one particular way, yes. It feels like it is speaking something that might not be there. Yeah. I might not be aware of. Yeah. The name that I was drawn, yeah. the request that I was wanting to orient around, yeah. almost let me in on some things going on within me that I was not Yeah. Yeah. That's a wonderful observation. I'm going to reflect it back to you just to make sure I understand also for the recording, because I want, (laughs) if you're listening to this on the recording, I want you to be able to hear it. Um, But the observation is that the prayer form and the exercise of writing a prayer almost pulls out of you sort of things that are latent within you that you might not even be aware of. Like, this is what I need to call God today, or this is the request that's in my heart today. Um, And sometimes we're not even aware of those things until we come to an exercise, like, oh, it's time for me to write my collect. And so, What's what's in what's inside here? What's what's happening? You know, um, Leah, you're probably familiar with this as a writer, and I'm sure anybody who practices any kind of art would know that like you don't you can't wait for inspiration, right? You have to do the work. You have to sit down and you have to start writing. And sometimes that act of starting draws something out of you, um, which is a great argument in my mind for liturgical prayer, like daily <laughs> prayer, right? Because it's like I don't have to feel like I want to connect with God. I can just sit down and say my prayers. And often sometimes it feels like, okay, I, you know what I mean? Like sometimes it feels a little bit um, like I'm not sure I connected with God. Um, but I, I like not to measure it by how I feel, right? It's, it's, I think it's important to just say, well, I, I said my prayers and there was an opportunity here for me to... Um, you know, express kind of what's in my heart um, towards towards God, and so so anyway, for me that I think is a is a good argument for us as Christians to say uh, like to have some kind of a rhythm of prayer um, that we just that we just do, um, just like writers need to write, potters need to pot, throw. What are you doing? Throw? Okay, yeah, yeah, right. um, Prayers need to pray, uh, you know, and um, and so that's part of it. So. Um, i do want to get into the nitty-gritty which i've made a little chart here uh, which we're going to get into but i I want to just uh talk to you briefly about the history of the bcp because i find this fascinating and i hope that you will as well Um, so the 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 book of common prayer was created as part of the english reformation so anglican just means english right it was created as a, a part of the english reformation and christianity has a long history in the british isles before king henry decided he wanted an annulment um, uh, which is kind of the famous uh, instigator or catalyst for the creation of the Church of England, but there's a lot more to it, and so um, it, it goes back as far as perhaps 67 AD that the first missionaries may have come to the British Isles. Um, we're not really sure about all of that, and because I think because England um, was separated from the mainland of Europe by you know the the the, the water, it. Christianity there took on a little bit of a different flavor than it did in the mainland of Europe. Um, And so it was a bit more mystical than it was legal. Um, That's one of the shifts that that seemed to happen. Um, The salvation metaphors were more about healing from sickness rather than um, legal loopholes to avoid punishment. Um, And so it it was uh, a bit more of a holistic faith. If you've ever heard of like Celtic Christianity, This is kind of what we're talking about is the British Isles, the Christianity that developed there before um, Rome kind of caught up with it and was like, oh, hey, there's Christians here. You should be part of part of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, It it ended up taking on a little bit of a different uh, flavor where all of life was sacramental. Um, And the spiritual life of England was organized around abbeys and monasteries um, that had a rule of life with simple spiritual rhythms and practices that they practiced amid the surrounding culture. Um, And so it was more, it ended up being more about practices than doctrines per se, even though obviously doctrines are important. But um, it ended up having that kind of a feel, um, abbeys, monasteries, um, rather than, um, you know, bishops and dioceses and that kind of a thing. So um, I think the key point here is that Catholicism, and what I mean by that um, is just like universal faith, not Roman Catholicism, but Catholicism in England had historically had a unique character which was different from the rest of the continent. And so the Reformation for a lot of people was, a, was an opportunity to perhaps return to some older forms of faith before Rome, Rome had come and they'd become part of the Roman Catholic Church. And so Henry VIII wanting an annulment was, you know, it was not why the Anglican Church exists, but it was a catalyst. It was sort of a convenient um, political flashpoint that allowed some of these Reformation instincts to kick in, where there was a lot of people that were like, okay, maybe this is a good time for us to do the thing that we want to do. Um, we can, you know, use the king to kind of like get our, get our thing happening here. So um, so anyway, it was one thing that happened within that, in that development. But there's a long history of Anglican Christianity that was cultivating a communal life of prayer that was realistic for ordinary life, for common life. And so it wasn't primarily about a pet theologian. Some denominations are kind of about, it's all about Calvin or it's all about, um, I don't know, there's, a, there's pet theologians, right? And I don't mean that pejoratively. I just mean like Lutheranism, for example, it's named after the guy, right? It's, it's this person's theology that sort of created this movement within Christianity. But Anglicanism… Uh, wasn't defined by that. It was not defined by a certain set of catechism, like the Westminster Catechism is a big deal for Presbyterians. But Anglicanism, at its best, again, there's all kinds of expressions, but at its best was more about how than what. It was about how we live under Jesus' lordship in our actual real lives, not just what we say about God. Um, and so that's why our book, our central document, is not a, you know, a confession, but it's a book of common prayer. This is the way that we pray together. And so that's kind of where that instinct came from. So the Anglican way is captured in a, a Latin phrase called, uh, that says, Lex Orandi, Lex Credendi. Has anybody ever heard of this? Leah? Yeah. Do you remember what it means? Uh, the law of prayer is the law of belief. Yes. Yeah. The law of prayer is the law of belief. Um, and so what it, what it refers to is that the life of prayer, our worship, our devotion, our liturgy, it shapes what we believe. And there's a, there's a kind of a reciprocating back and forth uh, of, of that, that kind of thing. So our beliefs are sort of contained in our prayers rather than here's our beliefs and these are propositions that exist in the ether. Um, Anglicanism has always had an instinct to say, who cares? Uh, like, here's how we pray and this is what we believe. Like, what do you believe? You know, I think Anglicanism as it best, at, at its best says, well, come pray with us. and You'll find out. You'll find out as we pray. Um, Evagrius, a, uh, a one of the early church fathers, says the theologian who the theologian is one who truly prays, and the one who truly prays is a theologian. So you all are theologians, according to Evagrius. So, um, so anyway, it, that sort of just describes that Anglican how Anglicanism was formed. It was this, and this, by the way, is very um, consonant with the early church. Right, the early church didn't. The New Testament didn't drop out of heaven, right, as a fully forged document and with all the doctrines. Here's, here's a new belief system for you. The early church prayed together. They had this experience of the resurrection of Jesus. And for a long time, they had no idea what it meant, <laughs> right? But they knew that Jesus was somehow with them and that they, um, there, was, there was a new power at work in their lives. And so they prayed together, they worshiped together. And the early church... Did this, and as they did this, there were arguments that sprang up about the nature of Jesus and all of this other stuff. And all of those things were defined by the councils over the years, where people were like, "Oh, we should really figure out if Jesus has two natures or one nature, or if it's you know, like we should really figure all these things out because it matters for our for our beliefs." Um, but the reason that those things came up was because they had a common life of prayer together, and so. Um, at its best, then, it describes how Anglicanism was formed. It was a liturgical experiment. Um, what And then two, what we prioritize in our life together, prayer over just a set of beliefs. And then three, how we order our lives. It, it's ordered around daily prayer and weekly Eucharist. It's not a statement of faith. Um, and so that's, that's a big part of what it means to be Anglican, is daily prayer, weekly Eucharist, this is what we believe, um, rather than propositions, here's what we believe, and let's make sure we think those things correctly and say those things correctly whenever we do talk about God. So anyway, those are some things that I appreciate, you know, about the BCP. Um, so the BCP then was, was created in the, in the wake of that Reformation. It is one of the most influential books in the English language, actually. It was first created in 1549. It was compiled and curated by Thomas Cranmer and Nicholas Ridley so that, and this was according to their first introduction to the Book of Common Prayer, so that the church may appropriately share in common worship. A shared, uh, or common, that's what common means here, is shared um, among the whole community. A shared form of worship that everyone practices. And this was a contrast to a lot of medieval practice where the priest was like way back there and sort of mumbling prayers over the elements. You couldn't really hear what he was saying. And everybody was kind of just saying their own prayers. And crossing themselves at the appropriate moments. And, you know, that, everybody's kind of doing their own thing. And what Nicholas uh, Ridley and Thomas Cranmer wanted to do is say, no, we all pray together. Here's a, here's a form for us all to do together, which was a new, it was, a, it was an innovation. Um, and so Cranmer and the priest said, the priest in the first book of Common Prayer said, the, the priest declares the beginning of the liturgy in a loud voice, which which is like, you don't just start. It's like where everybody is called together in a loud voice um, so that we're going to be praying together. So the BCP started that way. That was the instinct. And it was revised through all kinds of arguments and tensions and murders. It was a, <laughs> it was a very contentious time in the church um, and in England um, between, uh, quote unquote, Catholics and, quote unquote, evangelicals or Puritans. And there was a fight between who was going to kind of win out in terms of what the basic expression of Christianity was going to be in the Church of England. So Catholics wanted to keep the traditional symbolic forms of of Christian worship. Raising the host was a symbolic thing that Puritans didn't like. Kneeling for communion was something that Puritans didn't like. Wedding rings, Puritans did not like wedding rings. Um, So a lot of these symbols, um, some people on the more evangelical or Puritan side of things were suspicious of those things as being maybe uh, popish, um, associated with Rome, or um, perhaps superstitious. Uh, they, they wanted to get um, a bit more word-centered faith. But then the Catholics appreciated all of the, the symbols and the rituals. They, they wanted to keep those things. So eventually, this is oversimplifying history a lot, but eventually a kind of middle way won out, a via media. You might hear that associated with Anglicanism. Um, but there's still tensions today between the evangelical impulse in Anglicanism and the Catholic impulse in the Anglican church, in the Anglican world, um, uh, all over the world. Um, so the 1662 Book of Common Prayer is still the official Book of Common Prayer for England. They haven't revised it officially since 1662. Um, but um, they use a number of sort of modular plug-and-play prayers now called um, Common Worship. And there's a website, you can actually look it up, and this is kind of how they, how they worship in England now. With the coronation, was it yesterday? Um, I didn't actually watch any of it, but um, it was maybe one of the first times that anybody had ever seen, like, Anglican liturgy. But I, th- I think they modified a few things. The Nicene Creed was not included. And so, anyway, I have a bunch of Anglican people I follow on Twitter, and there was a whole bunch of controversy about it. Um, so, anyway, it was it – was, uh, it's very nerdy. Um, people are very, very passionate about uh, their Anglicanism. Um, anyway, that's what happened in England. In the USA, obviously – um, with help from Scotland, because uh, England didn't want to send any bishops over here because we were in the middle of a war uh, with England, and they were like, "No, no bishops for you. Um, you know, you're not, you're not legitimate because you won't recognize the sovereignty of the king or the queen, right? Um, which was the crown was uh, that's part of it. You know, so that that's part of the problematic nature of the even the coronation liturgy uh, was where everybody was swearing, swearing allegiance to the king. Um, And so one of the jokes I did see on Twitter was uh, that um, tomorrow morning when we're praying our liturgy, anytime we refer to the king, it's that Spider-Man gif where they're both like pointing at each other. Have you guys ever seen this one? It's like, who's the real Spider-Man is basically the idea of it. And so who's the real king? Is it it Jesus Christ or is it Charles? You know, they were like battling it out. Anyway, nerdy stuff. Um, But anyway, they, from Scotland... um, Somebody who was in communion with the Church of England came over to Scotland, ordained a bishop over here. So we have, you know, bishops. And then um, the, the Episcopal Church was established. And they established their first prayer book in 1786, which is like the most ancient ancestor of our, um, of our current prayer book. Uh, it underwent some minor revisions in 1892. There was a more substantial revision in 1928, um, and then a new prayer book in 1979, which is the one that we have, um, that we use today, um, which is our current book. But um, the Episcopal Church is also also authorizing some new experimental liturgies, um, and it seems like it seems like the movement now is not to write a new book of common prayer, but rather to have this as be our sort of standard book of common prayer, and then we have these experimental liturgies that are authorized for use in the Episcopal Church. And so it's similar. It's not quite as plug-and-play as it is in England, but it's kind of a similar move to basically say these are the moves of the liturgy, but these aren't the only authorized words you can say in the liturgy. There's lots of different uh, words that are authorized. So uh, I know I said this last time, but an Episcopal priest that I know, when people compliment her on what a lovely service, she usually just says, thanks, we read it out of a book. You know, it's, like, it's just all in here. You know? <laughs> So anyway, um, any uh, so that's just a brief history I wanted to go through before we get into morning prayer. But any, any questions or reflections on the spirit and ethos of Anglicanism or the Book of Common Prayer and its history? So yes. yeah good question um, so uh, what, what Anglican Episcopal what does all that mean so Anglican is the tradition and it just refers to you know the Church of England and the Anglican Communion is all of the churches throughout the world that are sort of descendants of the Church of England so um, Anglicans came over to America. The Americas. They went, you know, they, British colonialism basically is why there's Anglican churches everywhere. So there's a bunch in Africa because they went down there uh, to colonize those peoples and those places, and they they just brought their worship with them, right? It's like, well, we're Anglicans, and so we need a we need a bishop, and we need a priest, and we need some churches here. And so, eventually, as the British Empire sort of waned uh, a bit, these churches set up their own sort of national churches but you know their tradition was this is what we know of christianity and so this is what we practice and so the episcopal church in the americas is that church that's connected to the anglican communion um and so so there is a we're in communion with anglican churches all over the world essentially um is what that means so Yeah, I think uh, the Scottish church was also, is also called the Episcopal Church in Scotland. So it just, it just depends on what you decide to name your church. Most, most of the churches in Africa are called like the, you know, the Anglican Church in Uganda or something like that. I, I don't know exactly why they chose Episcopal. Episcopal just means bishop. It's like the bishopy church, essentially, is what that means. And so that's what it refers to. Um, because that was, that was one of the reforms... So most of the mainland reformers got, got rid of bishops. They did away with bishops. They're like, we don't need bishops to be a real church. Uh, the authorities authorities in the local congregation. England kept bishops. Um, and so there's, a, lo- there's some, a lot of interesting, unique things about the English Reformation. And so I think that might be part of it, is like, we're the church, we're the church with bishops, which was very unusual for America. Um, and um, so we're the church with bishops. I mean, the Catholic Church obviously has bishops as well. But I think in the early days, there were, there were very few Catholics, you know, over here. I don't know the history entirely, but that's my assumption. So, yeah, so it just it just refers to, it's just what we chose to name the church here. My hunch is, right after the Revolutionary War, they were probably trying to put a little distance between England, right, and their, their church. It's like, hey, we're the Episcopal Church. We're not the English church, you know. Um, maybe avoid the appearance of... Sedition or something, I, you know. I don't know that. That's pure conjecture on my part, though. So, yeah. Does that help? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Anything else? Before we dive into morning prayer. The thing exactly that stands out to me is that the emphasis is not doctrine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which has been my experience, you know, with the evangelical church and just the, my experience in my life. Yeah. With the Christian church. Yeah. Doctrine is even. Like, you know, yes. Yes. And so yes. it's really, um, it means a lot to me to hear this. Yeah, you know, good. Because good. I've actually personally gone through this phase of realizing doctrine does not trump love. And yeah. I even put that in my journal. Mm-hmm. You know, because it was a significant realization Yes. Yeah, it's not like Jesus yes right? Yeah, yeah, the doctrine, doctrine doesn't trump love. And actually, to oppose them or to act in an unloving way in order to defend doctrine is actually an undermining of doctrine in a way, right? Um, so, yeah, I think that, that's been something I've appreciated as well. There's a, there's a bit of a relaxed um, attitude towards that, even though there is, I, you know, I do think it's important. Um, yes. But there is, you know, there is in the Episcopal Church, you know, there are, there are uh, priests and bishops who would probably say, yeah, we don't really believe all that stuff. Um, it's more about the, you know, more about the practice or whatever, and so even that sense is like, well, I disagree with you, but there's a, there's a, there's an instinct for generosity on that level. There's not a, there's not a hurry to like cut those people off. It's, it's more like, okay, well, maybe we can still walk together. There's an instinct to say, like, let's keep this big tent, and can we still walk together? Can we stay together as we go? Right, right. You have to agree to all these things. So, you know, these ideas, yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. It made me think about that in the book of Acts, the apostles would use the expression, it seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Right. yeah. It's kind of a, almost like the litmus test for discernment, yeah. yes. which is a much more prayerful yes. and, and really experiential mm-hmm. process of listening to mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I I've always loved that phrase as well. It seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. And I th- I think that's I think that's part of it. Uh, well, that, name's the spirit. Is a more adult, um, way to approach it. Right. If you a list you're checking off, mm-hmm. that's what you would get a child. Right, right. Here's the rules, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. all right. Well you guys want to dive into morning prayer? All right, does everybody have a copy of the PCP? I, I forgot to bring some in from the chapel, but we can go we can go grab some yeah. oh, you got a drum all right um yeah, feel free to grab some and uh and we'll we'll get started here in a moment i think I think everybody who needs one maybe just went to go get one, so I think we're good zoom here all right so um we went, we went through uh, our previous session, we went through like the, the, the table of contents uh, to show you the other stuff that's in there. But morning prayer is um, the thing that I would like to teach you how, how to use. And then, you know, you can do your own explorations for there. And it's right two, which you'll remember that right one is traditional language, these and vows. Um, that was still important to people. I think there's still some churches that say that these and vows. you know, they're 8 a.m. Right one, mass um, but we 're going to do right too because it has the more modern language um, so just to just to, a quick flyby overview here that I want to give you because you walk through the book the BCP and it 's easy to get lost in the in the details because there's they kind of list all the details as you go so i 'd love for you to just see the structure first of all okay so um, it starts the morning prayer starts with an opening sentence of scripture okay there are Way too many options for this, I think, but um, there are so many options based on the season, like the first three or four pages of morning prayer are all um, like, here's what you could say right at the beginning of morning prayer. Um, And it's just an opening sentence of scripture. It's it's kind of a just a way of opening it up, saying, here's a sentence from scripture. We're starting to pray now. Um, Now, again, this is meant to be used in community, in community. And next week, we're going to pray morning prayer together. I don't think we'll have time today. We'll just pray it together next week to kind of give you an example of how that works. But you can also pray this by yourself. Um, I do most mornings just by myself. So opening sentence of Scripture, there are tons of options. That's the first element of morning prayer. The second element, if you just flip over to page 79, that's that's how many opening sentences of Scripture there are. On page 79, the second element is the confession of sin. So in our liturgy, normally the Sunday liturgy, we do the confession of sin uh, in the middle of the service, right before we come to the Eucharist table. Yeah? In morning prayer, it's done at the beginning of the service, and evening prayer as well. So there's a couple options there for um, how to call people into that, but that's, that's our normal confession. You'll recognize that one from the one we pray on Sunday mornings. So the confession of sin is the second element. The third element on the next page, on page 80, is the invitatory psalm. So this is basically a a psalm that says something like, hey, it's time to worship. Come and worship. And so there's three options, which I'll go through in just a little bit. Three options for a morning psalm, the invitatory psalm. And then you get into the section where you're going to read from the psalms and you're going to read some lessons of Scripture. Okay. So this is where you'll need the lectionary. If you remember, the daily office lectionary is way in the back of uh, the BCP. Um, we'll talk about that in just a second, but um, that's the first kind of the main part of morning prayer is that you're reading from scripture. So you read a psalm or psalms, and then you're going to read uh, a lesson or lessons. And lesson just means scripture reading. And so, oftentimes in the in this BCP, you've got three readings per day. There's an Old Testament, generally, a New Testament, and a Gospel reading. In general, people read the Old Testament and the Gospel reading in the morning, and then read the New Testament reading in the evening. And if you want, you can read the alternate—remember, there's two-year cycle—you can read the alternate Old Testament reading if you want to. Um, I oftentimes just read the New Testament reading. So anyway, so Psalms and Scriptures, and then the Apostles' Creed. So that's kind of the response to the Word. The, the, reading the Word, the response is, I believe this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty then you shift into the second part of morning prayer so there's a word centered part and then there's a prayer centered part and so you can think of this as i mean this is the shape of christian worship right is we hear god speak to us and we respond in worship um, you see this in our liturgy uh, on sundays as well right we hear the word there's a sermon preached we respond then in prayer and then coming to the eucharist is one long prayer I don't if you guys notice that but when we stand and we say those eucharist prayers um, that's not a sermon. Uh, the, the priest is not saying something to you. We together are saying something to God. It's a long prayer. So um, the second section then is the prayers. And so it starts with the Lord's Prayer. It goes to something called suffrages, um, which we'll talk about in a moment. And then collect, which you guys know about those now. And then a prayer for mission. There's three options here. So the collect is from the Sunday of the previous week. There's two options for the suffrages. Three options for the prayer for mission. And then there's a space here where you can do kind of anything you want. So, um, thanksgivings and intercessions, if there's something on your heart, if your kid's sick, if you want to just pray. Sometimes contemplative prayer works nicely here. If you're going to spend 15 minutes in silence or five minutes in silence, it works well there. And then there's a closing prayer and uh, a a grace. um, A, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all evermore. There's something like that. That's it, okay? So those are the elements of morning prayer. I just wanted you to see the structure. All right, so let's get into the nitty-gritty, get into the details. Um, So to prepare, I will invite you to um, make some bookmarks, okay? So mark the beginning of morning prayer um, on page 74 with something. If you need to tear off a sheet or something like that, go for it so that you're not uh, fumbling for pages. And this is is just a practical way... um, ...for you to set up um, your own Book of Common Prayer as well, just because these are the places that you'll need to flip to uh, to kind of know what you're doing, okay? So the first one is page 74, mark the beginning of morning prayer. Second one is, let's find the lectionary. And so this is going to be all the way at the back. Again, the daily office lectionary is the one that we're looking for. It is a two-year cycle. Um, So I will just give you a cheat sheet and say that go to page 960... Because today is the fifth Sunday of Easter, and so the way that these are organized is by um, what, what Sunday we're in in the liturgical year. And so if you look on page, oh, sorry, I, we need to go to page 962, all right? So here's the way the Daily Office Lectionary is set up. It's, you'll notice on both sides of the page, they both say week five of Easter up at the top. One, you notice on the bottom... On 962, it says daily office year one. On 963, it says daily office year two. Okay? So this this is like year one and year two are on the same page. So you just need to know we're in year one. That's on the left. And so um, today is the fifth Sunday of Easter. And so you go to week five, week of five Easter, at the top. And today is Sunday. So does everybody see it there? So what are our Psalms for morning prayer? 24 and 29. Yeah. And you see that little symbol, and then there's more psalms after that. Those are the evening prayer psalms, okay? 8 and 84 for the evening. And then below that, you'll see three scripture readings. We're actually reading from Wisdom of Solomon, which is an apocryphal book. Um, And so there's a wisdom reading. There is a reading from 2 Thessalonians and a reading from Matthew. You guys all see that there? Okay. So mark that page with something. I'm going to tear off a piece of my notes here. No, it's it's a it's an apoc it's an apocryphal book, yeah, called the Wisdom of Solomon, yeah, Okay. yes. Those would not be it would not be in a normal Protestant Bible, um, but there are copies of the New Revised Standard Version that have the apocrypha in them, um, and so those those would be helpful to to have on hand. Would they be in the, like the Bible apps, or that, like, they they might be some of them. So if I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, Venite, the Venite app is great for this if you're ever confused about what year it is or what scriptures I'm supposed to be reading just load up the Venite app and that's like they've, they've got it like plugged in um, and that's put out by the Episcopal Church V-E-N-I-T-E Venite which is actually named after one of the invitatory psalms which we'll get to in just a moment um, so that's a good uh, way to kind of just make sure you're on the right page okay Um, All right, so everybody got a bookmark there in the Daily Office Lectionary, page 962. Um, Then I usually like to mark the Psalms that we're going to read. So I usually have a bookmark in the Psalms. You'll remember that the Book of Common Prayer has a translation. This is its own translation of the Psalms that is created specifically for being able to um, say or sing or chant antiphonally, um, sort of as a congregation. So... um, you can just, you know, Psalm 24 is on page 600. And so 24 and 29 are our psalms for the morning. 613 is Psalm 24. And so um, you'll see above that, it says fifth day morning prayer. Don't worry about that. But that, that is if you want to do a 30-day psalm cycle, which means you read through the entire Psalter in 30 days. Um, that's another option that some people... You know who just love reading the Psalms, I guess, do. Um, but we're we're just using the the Psalms in the in the daily office lectionary. Okay, so that's a that's a third place to mark, and then the fourth place to mark is wherever we're at in the Collect of the day. So um, if you turn to page two hundred and twenty-five, there's a whole. This is the list of collects for each Sunday or feast day in the church year. Um. So that's a section, and so the, the collect that we'll pray today in worship, you see on page 255, 225, you see that says the fifth Sunday of Easter, middle of the page, we're going to pray that in worship today, and that is the prayer for the whole week. So every day that you do morning prayer, you turn, you, you put, put a bookmark here, and when it says collect of the day, which is part of the collects down here, one of them is the collect of the day from Sunday, you just flip to that page, read fifth Sunday of Easter, and then there's other colleagues that you do. Okay? So those are the bookmarks that you need um, in order to kind of navigate morning prayer without too much, uh, you know, fumbling around for pages. All right? Sorry, guys. Does everybody have just – know, just know that the bookmarks uh, need to go in those places, okay? And we'll, we're going to go through this step by step now, and uh, hopefully it will all come together. All right? All right. I can't actually tell what time it is from my phone. Does anybody know what time it is? Nine forty-eight. Okay. A little bit of time. Okay. So, uh, go back to page seventy-four, beginning of morning prayer. Um, the opening sentence of scripture. Like I said, there's many options. You'll notice it starts with Advent, though. That's a seasonal option. Goes to Christmas. Goes to Epiphany. Goes to Lent. Goes to Holy Week. And now gets to Easter season, Easter season which is what we're in including Ascension Day and the Day of Pentecost. And then you'll see one, two, three, four, five, six options. Yeah? So pray any, pray any one of those you like. Um, this has the opening sentence of Scripture. Okay? Um, and then there's also, there's one for Trinity Sunday, All Saints and Other Major Saints Days. If you turn the next page, Occasions of Thanksgiving. And then this is the one, these are the ones you choose from most often because we're most often we're in... Uh, ordinary time, and just the ones that say at any time. Um, And so, and you could actually use those even if it's not, so even though it's Easter season, you could use one of those if you want, just at any time. Okay? So lots of options for the opening sentence of Scripture. I think in the rubrics it actually says any sentence of Scripture is fine. So pray whatever you want, you know, at the beginning of morning prayer, just a sentence of Scripture. Um, Second, then, we get into the confession of sin. So this is page 79, And then you'll notice the instruction, all the instructions are in italics, and then the words that we pray are in normal print. Um, So italics, it says the the officiant says to the people, and there's a long paragraph there. And then notice it says under that, or this, right? So that's a shorter version. The longer version, the shorter version. Does that make sense? Is everybody on the same page? Yeah? Okay. A lot of the BCP is organized like that. The officiant says this, or this. So you kind of have to like move ahead a little bit to know, okay, I don't, I don't have to say both of these things, and oh, I could have chosen the shorter one, you know, <laughs> so yeah. So um, if you're yourself, you just, just kind of jump back and forth, or you just talk to yourself? Too. I do, yeah, I, I I I do. I talk I talk to myself. Um, um, right, yeah, I, I, I make sure that I sound very impressive. Yes, right. No, um, here, here's how I think about that in all seriousness. I do think that there is, there is a joining with the prayer of the church that I, I'm aware of. So it's not just my, my private prayers. This is the prayer of the church, and so this is our common prayer. And so I will, often, I will often say, let us confess our sins to God, and I will hear myself say that and say, oh, yeah, I'm one of those people that needs to confess my sins to God. And so it is really helpful for me to hear that call, even if I'm calling myself into, you know, into into prayer. And th- this is another thing. I pray this out loud as much as I can. Um, there's something it slows us down. It forces us to tend to the words. I don't know if you're like me, but I, if I if I come to a familiar text, feel like oh, I've read this before. I skip it. My brain skips it. But if I'm reading out loud, I don't skip it because, well, it's part of the liturgy. I have to read this, you know? And it's really helpful for me. So I do say, let us confess our sins to God. And I'll say, okay. And then I'll pray the prayer, right? So anyway, this is why I I normally do this just all by myself because I sound like a little bit of a weirdo. So (laughs) Telling myself what to do now. Okay? So two calls. One's longer, one's shorter. I typically do the shorter one. Um, And then... Pray the prayer, Most Merciful God. Um, then notice on page eighty, the absolution is part of this, and you'll notice it says the priest alone stands and says, Almighty God, have mercy on you, forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is uh, this is a absolution which is reserved for the priest in the Anglican tradition, and so notice the instruction afterwards: a deacon or lay person using the preceding form remains kneeling and substitutes us for you and our for your. Okay, so you can still pray that. Um, that absolution, but it's it's more uh, of a prayer to God, uh, Almighty God, basically. Have mercy on us, forgive us all our sins. Um, just because absolution is, again, reserved for the priest uh, in the in the um, Anglican tradition. Okay, so far so good. You think you've got it? You can navigate at least to the confession of sin. All right. Here's where here's where we get some options. Okay, the inventory psalm is where we're at here. So it says, "All stand. I I typically remain seated uh, for morning prayer. I don't necessarily, um, you can stand if you like. Um, There's some parts where I I do like to kneel. Um, So, Lord, open our lips and our mouth shall proclaim your praise. Again, I do both of those parts if I'm just by myself. I call to myself and I answer myself. Um, Lord, open our lips and our mouth shall proclaim your praise and then together, everybody says, glory to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Um, You can make the sign of the cross there. Other people just bow when doing the Gloria Patri, it's called. Um, and other times when the Trinity is named, you do the sign of the cross, but that one in particular, there's um, uh, like a slight bow that you'll see a, a lot of people do. And then you can add, Alleluia, except in Lent. Don't add it in Lent. So um, Then follows, it says, one of the invitatory psalms, Venite or Jubilate. So, uh, and then they've got the uh, antiphons. So this makes it a little bit more uh, confusing. So first of all, venite or jubilate, if you turn to the next page, you can look at those two psalms. It's basically Psalm 95, 1 through 7, or Psalm 100. Those are the two options for the opening psalm. Okay? Come let us sing to the Lord, is how venite starts, and then be joyful in the Lord all you lands. You can kind of hear that invitation, right? It's come and worship. That's the uh, point of this psalm. So if you're going to pray the venite or the jubilate, you can also add the antiphon that you see on the previous page. So if you flip back over to page 80, it says one of the following antiphons may be said or sung with the Invitatory Psalm. And they've got options, Advent, 12 days of Christmas. So if you go down to Easter until the Ascension, that's where we're at now, the antiphon would be said before and after the psalm. So you'd say, Alleluia, the Lord is risen indeed. Come, let us adore him. Alleluia. You flip over to the Venite. Come, let us sing to the Lord, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And then all the way to the end. Oh, that today you would hearken to his voice. And then you flip back and say, Alleluia, the Lord is risen. Come, let us adore him. Alleluia. That's how an antiphon works, before and after. Yeah, Katie? So, what does the word antiphon mean? Antiphon, uh, it's, it, it, uh, I actually don't know what it means. Probably it's from, from Latin, I assume. Yeah, voices going against each other. Yeah, so it's um, so it'd actually be said. So if we were praying this together, I would say, "Alleluia, the Lord is risen indeed," and you would answer, "Come, let us adore Him, Alleluia." Yeah. So it's that's what it means. So yeah, antiphonal singing, right, back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Um, But basically, an antiphon is just a short liturgical text that's chanted or sung responsively, that you know preceding and after um, a psalm, a psalm verse, a canticle, that kind of thing. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you have to use a lot of context clues often, you know. One of the following antiphons. Oh, I guess these are antiphons, you know. I guess we say them, you know, like, yeah. So, yeah, you're right. So, um, all right. So, that's normally what happens. Vinite or jubilate. Just to add some, uh, some flavor to it. During Easter Eastertide... You can also pray uh, something in Latin called the Pasca Nostrum, um, which is the next one on page 83. It's called Christ our Passover. So this is done during the Easter season. And it's basically just a selection of texts about the resurrection of Jesus, um, which I love. I absolutely love this one. So I pray this all through Eastertide. Um, and you, don't do, you don't use that one with antiphons. Okay. So that's the Pasca Nostrum. So essentially you've got three options. One of them you can only use during Easter. If you're obeying all the rules, but sometimes I cheat and pray this, even though, you know, because it's just scripture. You can say it out. Yeah, you know, so totally. Uh, but normally it's just the Venite or the Jubilate um, with an antiphonal psalm, or with an antiphon, okay? So that's the Invitatory Psalm. So let's turn to the next page. On page 84, it says, Now it's time for the Psalm or Psalms Appointed. This is where we flip to the Daily Office Lectionary. And we see that morning prayer is Psalm 24 and 29. And so then we would flip to that place in the Psalter. You can use any translation of the Psalms you like. Um, I think the one in the BCP is very good, uh, actually. Um, especially for like liturgical uh, uh, saying or chanting. So, um, so I will typically then go to Psalm 24 and say that one. Oh, I'm in the wrong place. Uh, and then go to Psalm 29, Okay that makes sense? I mean, that part's pretty straightforward. You say the Psalms. After the Psalms, notice um, there on page 84, it says, at the end of the Psalms is sung or said, glory to the Father. So again, you do the glory to the Father, to the Son. So that's after, I, I typically do that just after the whole thing is done. So I would read Psalm 24, read Psalm 29, glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Okay? So then we move into scriptures, which is just right down there on page 84. It says the lessons. And then the instruction says, one or two lessons, as appointed, are read. The reader first saying a reader or lesson from this book. You can give the citation a chapter if you like. After each lesson, the reader may say the word of the Lord. And the answer is, thanks be to God. Or you can say, here ends the reading. Um, and then there's some instructions there about canticles and silence, uh, which we'll talk about here in just a second. So that, again, is the... Um, uh, from the daily office lectionary, right? So we'd read the wisdom passage, then we'd read the gospel passage. So in the instructions there, it says silence may be kept after each reading. Then one of the following canticles, or from those on page 47 to 52, canticles one through seven, which is all traditional language, by the way, is sung or said after each reading. Um, If three readings are used, the lesson from the gospel is read after the second canticle. So basically these canticles are scripture songs. And these are just read as responses to the scripture that you just read. So I will often just pick one, and you'll notice these are in the next few pages in the BCP: Song of Moses, the first song of Isaiah, second song of Isaiah, the third song of Isaiah. Um, if you keep flipping through there, you'll, you'll see they go all the way up to 21. Okay? So these are all just options for you to read after each scripture reading. Okay? And uh, you'll you'll grow to you'll grow to appreciate these scripture songs. I, I really have myself. Um, and you can just pick you can choose a just, just just choose a random one. You know, just whatever you feel like after each scripture reading. Um, there's lots of ways to do this. There's some suggestions for canticles. There's some that are good for Easter. Some that are good for Lent. Lots of ways to do this. Um, one tradition that I typically practice is to to choose kind of whatever canticle I would like after the Old Testament reading. But after the Gospel reading, I will always pray the Song of Zechariah. So that's one that, um, because I pray it so much, I have that one memorized. The Song of Zechariah is Canticle 16 on page 92. That's sometimes called like the Gospel Canticle because it it sort of heralds the, the coming of Jesus. And so sometimes people like to read it after they read the Gospel as a way of heralding that Jesus has come to us. Uh, in the reading of Scripture, right? Because we, we believe that God communicates uh, presence to us uh, through Scripture. Does that make sense? So lots of ways to do this. Just know you read a Scripture, and then you read a canticle. Um, you can go from there. Does this sound good? All right. I know we're getting into the weeds. I want to get through all of this to help us understand how this works. So after then, the Scripture readings and the canticles... Um, that, that is, if you're ever going to do any sort of extra devotional reading, you could just do it there. So I have a, I have a book that has like selections from the church fathers that are sometimes related to the texts um, because it's organized by what day we're on in the church here. Um, I, like to, I like to read that if I'm reading something else devotionally, and if I have time, I'll just choose there to read it. Because this, again, is our reflection on God's Word. So we're reading God's Word, we're hearing God speak to us, we're Asking God, what do you want to say to me today? And then, um, so if you're doing devotional reading, um, that kind of falls under that pattern, right? To say, "Let's, let's, let's do this here. And then you pray the Apostles' Creed, or say the Apostles' Creed. Okay, so turn through the canticles, just to make sure we're still on the same page here, all the way to page 96. So scripture and canticles, devotional reading if you like, and then the Apostles' Creed. Which is our kind of ultimate response to the word of God that has come to us is we say we believe. Confess belief. Okay? Yes, question? Um the nicene nice is for Sundays. The Apostles' Creed is for daily prayer. I just the Nicene What's that? It it is uh, it's not a rule, but it is uh, it is the normal practice. Yeah. So What's that? The Nicene Creed has more about the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah, more about the Holy Spirit. Yes. Proceeds from the phone. it The it Apostle's Creed has a harrowing of hell, which is pretty cool. Yes. Yes, descends to the dead. It's shorter. It's easier to kind of memorize and say. But, yeah. But, yeah. But it is – they're both important. They're both important, which is why they're included in – again, the, the assumption is – um, daily prayer, weekly Eucharist, yeah. like, and so you know you do that, and I'm just glad we do on Sunday. Yes, yeah. me too. All right, so then we move into the second section, which is um, morning prayer. Sorry, can somebody tell me what time it is again? Okay, let's get through this, and then I'll send you away with your assignment, which will be to just try to practice this. Okay, and we'll do it together next week. So um, we, we head into then the prayers. You'll see that on the top of page 97. Um, the people stand or kneel. The Lord be with you and also with you. Let us pray. And yes, I pray that. Uh, I call to myself, the Lord be with you. And I'm like, oh, thank you. And also with you. <laughs> and then it, it's quite nice. And then and I'm like, oh, <laughs> and also with you. Let us pray. And I'm like, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's, <laughs> pray. let's dive in. Um, and so it begins with the Lord's Prayer which uh, I like because I can't think it gives shape to the rest of the prayers that come, right? And so there's, like, most often days I'll just say this, right? Sometimes I'll say it slowly. Sometimes I'll pray it more meditatively, sort of reflecting on each phrase and saying, where in my life am I praying for daily bread? What do I need? Where do I sense need that, that God can fulfill? And I'm, I'm, I'm reaching out, you know, what, you know, where does God's kingdom need to come, right? So sometimes I'll slow that down if I'm by myself. Um, I can do that. If we're together, obviously, we just say it uh, together. And then comes the suffrages. There are two options here. The suffrages start on the, page, on the bottom of page 97. Um, and uh, suffrages are just basically short, responsive petitions, and they're very often just straight from Scripture, that pray through many different concerns. So it sort of is like a, let's go around the horn in terms of like, what are the... What are the common human concerns that we might have each day? And we're going to use scripture to pray for those things. And so you'll notice that the options are A and B. All right? So you just pray one of those. Most oftentimes I pray A. I don't know why. I think it's just first, and it's the one I have memorized. Um, but there's a lot that I like. There's a lot to – I could say a lot about the suffrages. Um, but they're, yeah, they're mostly from scripture, and they're just like petitions. We're praying – for God to help us. So, so R is like response and response. Yes, yeah, V and R stand for versical and response. And I'm not sure why they use the word versical. But it's basically, if we were praying this together, I would pray the, the V part. The leader would pray the V part. And then the congregation prays the R part. If you're by yourself, you just pray it all by yourself. Okay? Um, so that's the suffrages. That's the second part of prayers. And then we get to the collects, and you'll notice there it says then, the officiant says, this is page 98, the officiant then says one or more of the following collects. So there's options here as well. Um, first of all, the collect of the day, which you'll notice there's no text for that one. That's because that's where you put that bookmark earlier to so go back to the fifth Sunday of Easter. That's the collect for today, and it will be for every day this week. All right. All right. So that's where you'd start. You'd pray that collect first. And then the next section, uh, you'll notice, has six collects. These are the collects that it says one or more of the following collects. Typically, I pray one of these collects. So you'll notice there's one for Sundays. On Sundays, I pray that one. There's one for Fridays, Saturdays. So those are, you know, it's easy to decide when to pray those. <laughs> if it's Friday, pray that one. If it's Saturday, pray that one. And then the rest of them, um, a collect for the renewal of life, a collect for peace. And then on the next page, a collect for grace and a collect for guidance. Those are, I just use the rest of the four days in the, in the week to pray those once per day. So Monday, collect for the renewal of life. Tuesday, collect for peace. Wednesday, collect for grace. And Thursday, a collect for guidance. That's the simplest way to do it, I think. Or if you like one of them in particular, pray that one. Like there's, there's options there. Okay? Or pray, pray more of them if you'd like. Does that make sense? So that's the call And then we get to uh, page 100. It says, then unless Eucharist or a form of uh, general intercession is to follow, which typically if you're praying by yourself, that is not to follow, one of these prayers of mission is added. So 10 here, prayer for mission. You'll see there's three options. And you add one of those prayers. So you'll notice the first one says, Almighty and everlasting God. But then there's that instruction. Or this, O God, you have made us all of one blood. Or the following, Lord Jesus Christ, you stretch out your arms. You could just pick one. Sometimes people have like patterns. Um, I realize I have a pattern. I pray the first one on Sundays, Saturdays, and Tuesdays. The second one on Mondays and Thursdays. And the third one on Wednesdays and Fridays. I don't know why. I think somebody, somebody told me about that. Well, you'll notice the third one has to do with stre- Lord Jesus Christ. You stretched out your arms of love in the hard wood of the cross. So it's about the cross. So I, th- I find that appropriate for Fridays, And then Wednesdays as well, which is the traditional day that the betrayal of Jesus is uh, commemorated. Um, but anyway, you can do any one of those prayers you like. Okay. Three options there at the end of evening or morning prayer. All right. We're almost there. Then there is a closing prayer in grace. And so, or wait, first of all, authorized, notice on page 101, authorized intercessions and thanksgivings may follow. Okay? So here's where, just pray for stuff. Like, what, what's on your mind? Who, who do you care about? What are you concerned about? Go ahead, just pray for stuff, right? What are you thanking God for? So you can, um, you can authorize your own thanksgivings and intercessions. You know, like, yeah, yeah, what we well, can say that. I think in this context, it just means whoever's leading prayer, like, authorizes these things, you know, to be prayed for. So it's like, how, how is, you know, it's not like anybody can say anything they want during this time. It's more like, how, how are we going to arranging this or organizing this, right? Um, and so I think it has to do with probably communal prayer. Um, especially if, you know, somebody's like, well, actually, you know, we don't want to pray for that in that way. We'd like to pray for it in this way. and you know, that kind of thing. So anyway, so that's what authorized means. Um, and then it says, before the close of the office, one or both of the following may be used. So what they're referring to is the general thanksgiving, or if you, refer, if you flip over to page 102, it's a prayer of St. Chrysostom. So that's one or, that's one or more of the following. That's what they're referring to, okay? So typically, I will pray the general thanksgiving in the morning, and I'll pray a prayer for St. Chrysostom in the evening. Does that make sense? So the general thanksgiving, by the way, is, a, is is one of the best prayers in the BCP. It's awesome. It's a great prayer. So you pray that, and then flip over to page 102. It says, Then may be said, Let us bless the Lord. The response is, Thanks be to God. And then from Easter Day through the day of Pentecost, that's now, you can say, Alleluia, Alleluia, after each preceding versicle in response. So let us bless the Lord. Alleluia, Alleluia. Thanks be to God, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. And then there's three options for saying just a, a brief grace at the end there. Um, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, love of God, or may the love of God, may the, may the God of hope fill us, or glory to God whose power. And typically, um, sign of the cross is made when you pray that last prayer. So, and that's it, you've done morning prayer. Okay? I know it feels like a lot, but the more you get into it, uh, the, the easier it'll flow. All right. So I would like to give you. Sorry. What time is it again? So, 11 after 10. Oh, wow. Spencer's giving me the eyes. Look at this. Look at that guy. He's giving me the eyes. Okay. So uh, I'll leave you with this. Um, I'd love for you all to try praying morning prayer out loud this week. Uh, if you get to do it a couple times, that's great. Um, if you only get to do it once, that's fine, too. Um, I'll say this: I would recommend, if y'all are up for this, I would recommend um, engaging in some sort of practice of morning prayer that feels doable for you, and just doing it. Resist the urge to critique it or to analyze it or to think, "How is this going for me?" Just try it for like three months, maybe, maybe five or six months, even. Just just say your prayers, right, and and see how that goes we're often very quick to, to think about is this going well or is this fulfilling me or is this uh, good for me and I don't think we can actually know the answer to those questions until much later and so I would encourage the establishment of some kind of practice of morning prayer um, and that's more of a, a long-term thing um, but as you practice this week just come next week sort of ready to observe whatever you can observe uh, about that okay Yes? How long would you suggest setting aside to start out morning? What's a realistic? Good question. Yeah. Um, if you pray everything out loud and you have everything marked, um, you can probably do morning prayer in about 20 minutes. Um, I typically, you might want to reserve 30 minutes just in case, you know. You want to spend some time reflecting, you know, on the gospel passage or something. I'll do that as well. Like if, if something strikes me sort of contemplatively, I'll, I'll spend some time journaling about, about it. But, but typically morning prayer can be done in about 20 minutes. So, yeah. So, yeah, that's good. So, yeah, just want to encourage you. This is, it's different from a quiet time. Like I think at least the way that I used to engage in quiet time was that I was, I was always evaluating and analyzing if it was a good quiet time. I based it, like, did I sense some sort of revelation, or did I feel God's presence, or did, like, something happen, or did I have a new inspiration? Like, uh, I actually encourage people not to think like that when it comes to morning prayer. Instead, just, you know, you're not seeking some kind of feeling of satisfaction. You're not seeking a word from the Lord even necessarily, uh, or a warm, fuzzy feeling. You're just touching reality. You're sort of just dipping your soul into a a bit deeper participation in uh, God's work. Uh, in the world. And so a quote that I come back to often is from Willard. He says, prayer is how God shares God's power with us. Prayer is how God shares his power with us, as well as his presence with us. And so prayer is not just a self-help exercise. Prayer is participation in reality. And that's, I, I guess, the consciousness that helps me to engage in prayer without analyzing it or sort of anxiously trying to figure out what's happening, Because I I just know I'm just stepping into the flow of God's presence and God's spirit. This is one way of doing it. It's not magic words that this is the only way to do it. But this is one way of stepping in. Um, And so that's why I, I left that poem there from Scott Cairns, which I will close just by reading. Okay, for us? Is that okay? By its very nature, prayer avails both our conversation and our union with God. Its sure effect is, notice how, to hold the world together. Prayer is both the mother and the daughter of our tears, and occasions expiation of all sin. It is a bridge across temptation and a wall against affliction, both a future joy and a present act, endlessly opening to a flood of graces. So, beloved, may you participate this week in the holding of the world together, your life opened up to just a bit more of the flood of grace as God pours out. Amen. Thank you.